Run of the Film is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. The Niners and Packers meet in a battle of two NFC powerhouses. Make sure you are at Levi Stadium to catch the action and get all your tickets on the GameTime app. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Man, you gotta get a you gotta get a, a cheat sheet or something. That's terrible. That'll kill us. You like that? You like that? I'm just about that action, boss. You cannot lose games in the NFL and still win. You are listening to Run the Film with Kirk Morrison and Ted Wynn, only on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome, 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 welcome to the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Run the Film alongside Ted Nguyen. I am Kirk Morrison, and we get you all caught up on the NFL from week 11 and take you into week number 12 with a bunch of news and notes, players to watch, games that we're going to preview, review. We got it all covered here on Run the Film. But I think, Ted, before we even start about some of the players of the NFL, maybe a guy who played in the NFL, who is currently not in the NFL, really took some of the headlines from this past weekend, and that guy being Colin Kaepernick, Ted. So let's start with that. We're out here. We're ready to play. We're ready to go anywhere. My agent, Jeff Nally is ready to talk to any team, I'll interview with any team at any time. I've been ready, I'm staying ready, and I'll continue to be ready. We'll continue to give you updates as we hear. We'll be waiting to hear from Roger Goodell, the NFL, the 32 teams. We'll let you know if we hear from them. Ball's in their court, we're ready to go. Did you get a chance to see any of the workout uh, or some of the throws from Colin Kaepernick? And what was your take on you know, pretty much the workout being one place and having to be moved because Cap wouldn't sign a waiver. Just the whole Colin Kaepernick situation from this this past week. Um, you know, at, at, I kind of understand why Kaepernick does not trust NFL because of everything that's happened um, in the past. So obviously he's not going to give full control to them. And being a free agent quarterback that doesn't have a job, uh, you, you do, you know, you, you do have to kind of play the game a little bit, but obviously with what happened, he just doesn't trust NFL. So there, there's that conflict there, which is why I don't think that he will be signed just because there's no trust between the two sides. Um, so, uh, but you know, seeing that in the workout, you can see he still has that huge arm. He has a lot more arm talent than you know a lot of guys in the NFLs, especially the backup guys. I'm not saying he's better than a lot of the starters, but I do think he he could probably be better than than some starters now if he had a training camp and he got into an offense. Uh, but he's definitely better than a bunch of backups in the NFL. And, and there's some teams that could probably use the services, but probably don't want to go through the whole um, media circus that will come with Kaepernick. And Ka- and Kaepernick's going to be himself. You know he he. He's going to be himself. He's going to represent what he represents, which is admirable. Uh, but some teams just don't want all of that attention. Uh, but again, K- 
Kaepernick did, I, I believe, show that he can be an NFL player in that workout. Yeah, I think you mentioned it. Look, there's 64 quarterbacks in, in, in the NFL, and that's just me saying that if each team holds two on their roster, right, that's 32 teams, two quarterbacks, 64. To me, I, Colin Kaepernick, you mean to tell me is not one of is not one of the best 64 quarterbacks uh, in in the NFL? I mean, he deserves a spot now. It depends on what spot uh, that he goes to. And I think to your point, Ted, I think it's – uh, it, it, it rings loud is what team wants to bring on the distraction uh, that Colin Kaepernick may bring to this season. I think to me, this was all about for Colin Kaepernick for 2020. All right. I think 2020 is where we can possibly see Colin Kaepernick where a team can take a look at him, right? A team can bring him in, give him an off season. I think for right now, I, I just don't believe that someone's going to sign him to play this season um, just because, there's too much, I think, kind of going on with a lot of teams, right? I think teams want to finish up what they have and to bring Colin Kaepernick in for this year, you better hope that it's for a long-term commitment, not just, hey, let's just see what he can do. That was the one thing that I took from that. But watching him, like you mentioned, I, I love the arm, though. I mean, he looked like he can still zip it. He looked like he – I mean, obviously – there was no pass rush in this workout. There was no, um, you know, way to speed up the drill at all. This was what we just call a normal, a uh, pro day, which we see the pro days from the quarterbacks in college come out and do right. And everybody's like, "Oh my God, he was eighty-seven of eighty-eight passes. Oh, he didn't miss one." I'm like, "Dude, it's just a workout. Quarterbacks are supposed to look great." But the one thing that I was always told when I always ask him, I said, "What do you look at when you watch a workout?" You know, when when quarterbacks go out there and work out, because I feel like every quarterback can throw, every quarterback can look good in a workout, but if there's a specific traits that you want to see, well, a lot of, you know, scouts that I've talked to always said they just want to see how loud his arm is. And loud meaning that how does much zip is on the passes? How quickly can he release the football? How effortless is it? How easy is, is he working? Is he laboring? So there is a lot that actually goes into it that is just not, hey, oh, he connected with this receiver. No, they want to see the technique. They want to see the footwork, the mechanics. And then if they can hear the football, is that there are some players that, like an Aaron Rodgers, you, you hear him because the way the ball comes out of his hands and they catch it, it's like, uh, I said this before, Ted, I was at a at, at Packers camp uh, last, last season and training camp. And I literally had my back to the quarterbacks throwing and I just listened. And I told my one of the guys I was with, I said, let me know when Aaron Rodgers throws or I'm going to tell you when he throws. And so all the quarterbacks are going. And I believe one of them was uh, I think it was Deshaun Kaiser. He threw and I was like, mm -mm. then the next one threw and then Aaron Rodgers threw. And I was like, that was Aaron. He was like, yep, you're right. I was like, how'd you know? I was like, it, I was like, honestly, it sounds different. And it's crazy to say that. But I think Cap, from what the video showed me, was that the guy still has a ton of velocity. He still has got everything that you need. And actually, Ted, when you look, I thought he kind of bulked up a little bit. Didn't didn't look like he was out of shape by no means, right? There's some quarterbacks who's like, oh, man, you know, he's not been working out. But for a guy that has not played in the NFL in three seasons, he looked to be in shape. He looked to be a guy that probably needs a little bit of time to get acclimated. But to me, I think he can seamlessly transition and get back to maybe not necessarily where he was, but be an addition to a team. So I think that's some of the positives that I took away from just, just watching what I was able to see with the workout. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I thought um, he, 
you know, when towards the end of his career uh, with the Niners, he was he was he transitioned to a vegan diet and he lost a lot of weight. And I think um, that had something to do with how bad he was playing towards the end. He put up some decent numbers with Chip Kelly, um, but I don't I don't know if he's changed his diet, but he does look like he bulked up from the last time we've seen him for sure. And uh, just to end, I, you know, just a few teams that might be able to use the services, I think. Buffalo is a place where Kaepernick could play. Obviously, the tough conditions to throw there, but he has plenty of velocity to be able to play there. He could he could run the the offense that Josh Allen's in uh, right now. Uh, he he might be more accurate than Josh Allen to be honest. Um, and you know they they run some option stuff there that he could he could run. Uh, I think as as a backup for the Texans, he could be good because you don't want to go to a backup that can't run some of the stuff that Deshaun Watson runs. Uh, I think Chicago is a place that might make sense for him, uh, you know, especially with how bad uh, Mitchell Trubisky is playing. Um, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe not this year, but next year, a few of those teams uh, might take take a shot at him in training camp. No, I agree. There, there's some teams I think they just want to take a look at him, probably more so in the off season, bring him in and kind of see what you have, because that's where this league is transitioning to. Right. So the one thing that I, I saw and, you know, we're going to be able to break down some of the games. And one of our games that we'll break down was the Texans and the Ravens. And I bring that up because I'm watching what John Harbaugh, head coach of the Ravens and his offensive coordinator, a guy by the name of Greg Roman, just the play designs, the play calls, just the investment, just wrapping their arms around Lamar Jackson of his skill set, of his running ability and his passing ability, his throwing ability, and running the play action passes and some of the schemes that allow him to get the ball out quickly or hold on to it and make the throws down the field. We saw that before, right? Everybody's so caught up with Lamar Jackson this year, and rightfully so. To me, I still have him right there in the hunt for that MVP race. I still have him slightly behind Russell Wilson, maybe 1A, 1B situation. But I bring up Harbaugh and Roman because – that's the commitment that we saw when Kaepernick was with the 49ers. And when I mean with the 49ers, I'm talking about when he was with Jim Harbaugh's San Francisco 49ers, because we know that the offensive coordinator at the time again was Greg Roman. And it just seems to me that Greg Roman has basically his offensive game plan or his philosophy suits quarterbacks that have the ability to take off and run that can be an extension of the running game. But then also the play action passes and the quick passing involving everyone within the playbook. If you're going to suit up for a team, Greg Roman is going to get you the football. That's just how it is. Everybody's going to touch it. And so I bring those up because that's the kind of commitment that you probably are going to need if you bring in Colin Kaepernick. But if Lamar Jackson continues to play the way, way that he's playing right now, Ted, I think, and Deshaun Watson playing the way that he's been playing out, not so good next week. I mean, last week, but we could talk about that a little bit. But these younger quarterbacks, the Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray's, who we saw against the San Francisco 49ers last week, the commitment has to be on what that skill set is for these quarterbacks. And I think Colin Kaepernick kind of was the start of it a little bit. But I think now he fits in perfectly to where I think the NFL is going, Ted. And so that's why I don't see it as a problem so much in terms of uh, bringing him in to play quarterback for your team. No, exactly. And, but like you said, it, it takes a commitment to that scheme. Like the Ravens, the Ravens are all in on their scheme. And all it's in. Working out, yeah. working out for them. <laughs> and, and it takes commitment. And it it's tough to say for a team to say, 
we're going to commit to Colin Kaepernick and we're going to run this specific type of offense. And, you know, he's not going to be a problem, uh, uh, you know, problem as far as attention. Uh, so it, it's going to, it's going to take a big leap for a team to do that. But if I think a team does like, you know, if a team like the bears do that with that defense, they, they could be a better team, but it's just going to be a big step for a team to say, we're going to bring in Kaepernick and we're going to live with this, uh, this, you know, all the media attention. Uh, but, you know, look, as we talked about, he, he proved that he looks like he could be a capable uh, NFL quarterback in that workout. No, definitely. Uh, I think he did. But I think one of the telling signs as well is that we're talking about Kaepernick. And then we'll talk about the younger quarterbacks of the generations uh, of this generation. Now, like a Lamar Jackson, we're watching, obviously, Russell Wilson and the way that he can control a game. Patrick Mahomes, our reigning MVP, Deshaun Watson, Kyler Murray, just taking number one overall. And so I think we're now seeing a shift, Ted, in the quarterbacking position. I think that now it's not about the guys who can stand in the pocket and, and make throws. It's sometimes, hey, we may need you just to get the first down if they double cover or, you know what, the defense plays a little bit better than we can. We still have one more tool left in our tool belt. Take off, get three yards or get four yards. Get Keep the chains moving. Keep us on the field. We saw it a couple weeks ago with, with Russell Wilson against the 49ers. We see it with Lamar Jackson. It seemed like countlessly each time. Monday Night Football, I saw it with Patrick Mahomes, a third down situation. It's covered by the Chargers. And Mahomes takes off. And so as I'm watching where the NFL is going, Ted, I'm just looking at the class of 2004. And when I say class of 2004, I'm talking about the NFL draft class of 2004 in the first round with quarterbacks Eli Manning, who was taken first by the Chargers, and we know then traded, obviously, to the New York Giants, who picked Ben Roethlisberger, I mean, sorry, who picked Phillip Rivers. And then Ben Roethlisberger was the third quarterback taken in that first round. And right now, as we sit in 2019, this season, we've already seen Big Ben out for the year. Uh, what he had, uh, I believe, the elbow surgery. We don't know what his status is for next year, Ted. We saw Eli Manning give it a good go. He gave it a good go. But obviously, Danny Dimes, Daniel Jones, is going to be the new face with the New York Giants. And so now Eli Manning is done. And then it comes to Phillip Rivers. And... Over the last couple of weeks and even coming in, Phillip Rivers, his style of play is really what guys like Bill Polian and, you know, the older generation of NFL executives, what they wanted from the quarterback position. And then when you really start to think about it, it's like that's no longer the case. Phillip Rivers can't get me a first down on third and six if they double or triple team his best receiver or they take away or, they, or his offensive line breaks down. That type of quarterback, Ted, is crazy to say. I would never have thought that. But in 2019, those quarterbacks almost look like they don't belong. And so when I'm looking at this 2004 class, it's crazy to think that we probably could be seeing the last of them or not necessarily the last of them, but they're going to be on different teams. And I'm not so sure that just we may have seen just the last of those types of, of quarterbacks. Yeah. You know, with the 2004 class, man, 2004 is a long time ago. I, I was, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I, no. I, uh, I was a sophomore in high school in 2004. Wow. <laughs> so that, that was a long time ago. Uh, but 
Yeah, Ben Roethlisberger, his game is built around being able to take hits and buy time and make throws after contact. But that that's not sustainable when you know you're as old as Ben Roethlisberger and he has that elbow injury uh, this year and next year. If he keeps playing with the same style that he's played with, you know he 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 might not be able to last at his age. So uh, I, I think we're seeing the end of near the end of Ben Roethlisberger's career, um, especially if he gets injured again. Uh, next year, uh, it's hard to see him coming back again. You know, when you get a little older, you're, you're, it takes more time for your body to heal. And as tough as he is, he, he can't beat father time. And with Eli Manning, you know, we, we've we've seen his skills deteriorate for for years now. And like he said, he was never never a scrambler. He's never going to buy you time. Um, and his arm is just you can see his arm getting weaker and weaker every year. So um, I, I don't know if. A, a team would be interested in signing him. He's a guy that, you know, if he, I don't think he can just go into a new offense and um, pick it up and all of a sudden be a, a good starter. I think he, he needs to really be a master of that offense and to take advantage of his, his intelligence. And uh, I don't know if a team's willing to commit to him like that. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him retire this year either. And as far as Phil Rivers, um, I, I love, you know, Phil Rivers is one of my, my favorite quarterbacks to, to watch play, even though he he uh, murdered my Raiders <laughs> for, for years. But, yeah, he's, you know, he's just he he just thro- he just throws those yellow balls and a lot of them end up getting completed. But uh, he's fun to watch. But, you know, the, all those interceptions and in those late game uh, situations this year, it just does not look good that um, he threw. I think was it three interceptions last night? Four. Four interceptions. Four interceptions. Last night. Yeah, Monday Night Football. Yeah, four. Yeah, including one right at the goal line when they had a chance to tie up the game. Uh, that was severe. That was a really bad, poorly thrown ball too. Um, so with Rivers, um, I could see him maybe playing another year, but I, I would think if you are the Chargers, you have to look into drafting a quarterback this year. Yeah, you have to. Um, and and then I think kind of behind the scenes on this one too, Ted. The Los Angeles Chargers, or I just call them the Chargers, um, but they're moving into a new stadium next year, and they're having a tough time selling tickets. And Philip Rivers is not committed to the Los Angeles Chargers in terms of he still lives in San Diego. He still makes a commute every single day up to where the Chargers practice at. So he's never really been all in with what's going on. I'm not saying that that's the sole purpose and maybe that's why the Chargers get a go away from them. But I feel like if they don't make the playoffs this year, which kind of right now they put themselves in a situation sitting at four and seven, they they almost have to win out because I don't know if if they drop one more game. I don't think eight and eight is getting them into the playoffs. Right. Or even nine and seven. If they win the rest of their games. Right. They've, you know, pretty much. In the situation, got five games left. They win all five. Does nine and seven get you into the playoffs in the in in the AFC? I don't know. So I bring that up because next next year they're moving into a nice brand new shiny stadium, and you want to have momentum from the season before. And I don't know if that's the, the that's the product that you want to tell everybody. Hey, get excited about our thirty nine year old quarterback Philip Rivers, who's never won a Super Bowl or never you know been to a Super Bowl. And I'm like, I'm scratching my head saying, hey, look, dude, I'll work too darn hard to go pay for some tickets for a quarterback that we don't even know is going to, you know, can, can make it through. a se- Well, he can make it through a season, but he's not giving me that wow factor where I feel like some of these other quarterbacks are. So 
we shall see. But man, speaking of the 2004 class, we, we talked about Ben Roethlisberger, who's part of that class. Well, I'm just going back to uh, the earlier in week 11. His backup, who is now the starter in Pittsburgh, Mason Rudolph, uh, was involved in a situation with Miles Garrett, the defensive uh, end for the Cleveland Browns in that Browns versus Steelers game. Um, five, about five seconds left in, in, to go in the game. And if you haven't seen it or you haven't heard it, obviously you know what happened. Miles Garrett goes in for the sack on Rudolph. Uh, Rudolph gets the ball away, but Garrett brings him down to the ground. Still kind of a, I thought, you know, a, a non-call uh, hit. I didn't see much there. But it was after what ensued, Rudolph trying to pull a helmet off of uh, off of Garrett's head, and Garrett kind of takes offense to that. He gets up, he rips the helmet off of Mason Rudolph's head, and swings the helmet after being restrained by players. Tries to swing the helmet and connects with Mason Rudolph's head. Uh, suspensions were handed down. Miles Garrett suspended the rest of the season. Mason Rudolph no suspension at all. Uh, Mike Pouncey, uh, I'm sorry, Marquise Pouncey, uh, the um, center, he's uh, suspended for three games, okay, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then also to Larry Ogunjobi, the uh, defensive lineman for the Cleveland Browns, he's suspended for one game for getting involved and in, in pushing Mason Rudolph. So with all that being said, Ted, I- I'll say this about the whole incident. I'm upset as a former player, that Mason Rudolph was not suspended. I don't care about the fine. A fine doesn't bother me. I mean, the fine is whatever, but he should be suspended as well. I thought he's the one that actually ignited what happened and started it all. And obviously, Miles Garrett finished it. Now, I'm not a, I'm not saying what Miles Garrett did was was right. I mean, it was totally wrong. He was just out of line. He, he he snapped on, on the game, and I'm not going to be one to bash him, say he's a bad person, this and that. I know Miles Garrett. He is one of the most thoughtful, intellectual. I mean, he, he's actually, I think, a poster boy for what you want, for the kind of teammate you want, the kind of guy you want in your locker room. But he's also one of those guys that when he steps in between those lines, I sit away from those guys. I stand away from them because they're all, he's all in on football. Like his mind is like, I am all in. I am, I'm, I'm just trying to get to the quarterback. You know, I had a D line coach used to always say, tell the D line, you are a prisoner until the ball sets you free. You are locked up, but that ball, once it's hiked, it sets you free. That's the way that Miles Garrett played. Literally, like he's trying to get out, uh, like he's just been released from prison or something. But at the same time, what took place in the game, though, Ted? Should have never happened. The game should have been done with. But instead, we have the suspensions put out there. And um, I, I know we won't talk about it much after this. Cause I feel like it's an incident that the 24-hour news cycle will pass over. We got more great games coming up in the NFL. But it's just an unfortunate circumstance for the Cleveland Browns, Miles Garrett, but still upset that Rudolph didn't get suspended as well. Yeah, I agree. I think Rudolph should have been suspended for a game. Um, but, you know... We we've we've seen scuffles like that before. It, you know, if you just if you not take away what happened with Garrett, we we've seen little petty scuffles like that happen with players before. But I I just think that, and I I do believe that Garrett is a good person. Correct. Because uh, we we've seen him get slapped by a fan and he didn't even react to that. You right. Know, how, how many people <laughs> could even do that? You know. 
Right. So uh, it was surprising to see Garrett do that. But I think what Garrett did was so shocking and dangerous that, you know, it it overshadowed what happened with Rudolph. But I do think Rudolph should have been spending with the game. But, I mean, if you just think about how close we could have been to seeing a disaster on national TV because Garrett is one of the strongest dudes in the NFL. Yeah. Swinging a helmet, you know, at a guy's head. It could have ended pretty badly, and uh, luckily it didn't. Uh, but you know, it, it, it was, pr- it was a scary situation and he, w- he suspended indefinitely right now. He's appealing it. And, uh, and Rudolph, I, I don't like what he said after the press conference and everything too. Uh, but I thought, I thought he was going to be suspended for a game. I was surprised he, he wasn't actually. Yeah. I, I, I wish he would have been suspended. It would just, you know, make sure everybody who was involved, you know, lets you know that that's just what right. So the NFL obviously um, going to clean that situation up. Um, I, I had one of my uh, buddies I talked to about it said we had never seen that before. So it wasn't a situation where the NFL is saying we got to make sure something like this never happens again. I don't think that's ever going to happen again. No one takes their helmet off and uses that as a weapon. I think it was just a one-time thing that we saw. We see the consequences, and I think the NFL will move forward. But I think next time, every person involved should be, I think, suspended or at least, um, you know, I feel like the punishment should have been shared throughout everybody who was involved. And so we'll get more. Uh, we'll see more about what happens as the appeal process is going on. But obviously, some guys are going to be missing some games. But if you miss week 11, we got our recap of our best games of week 11. And Ted, the game of the week that everybody thought in the early window, right? The early morning game, the 10 a.m. on the West Coast, 1 Eastern on the East, the early big game was the Houston Texans traveling to Baltimore to take on the Ravens. Anytime you're 8-2, and two, you got a special group of guys, and uh, I think we really have a special group of guys, guys who understand each other, guys who believe in each other, guys who want to fight for each other, guys who understand the value of preparation one day at a time. We have a, a goal of being champions, so we don't have time to rest. So uh, we only have time to improve and get better each and every week. It was Deshaun Watson. Versus Lamar Jackson, it was Clemson versus LSU. I mean, versus Louisville. It was like the old, you know, the old uh, these guys tangling in college. We couldn't wait to see what this game was going to look like. Two MVP candidates, two teams that are vying for positioning against the Patriots in the AFC. It had all the makings of a big, big game. And as I'm hyping the game up right now, Ted, I'm just trying to hype up how good this game was going to be, and yet. It was a total dud to a point where CBS had to turn this game off and put another game on, right? Like they, they had to go away from this to get, said, you know what? How about that Bronco Minnesota Vikings game? <laughs> like bring that on because it was a blowout. It was, it, it was bad. The Baltimore Ravens end up beating the Houston Texans 41 to seven. The Ravens were dominant defensively um, in their attack. And then Lamar Jackson, became the betting favorite in Vegas now as the MV leading candidate for the MVP. I'll start there, Ted. Uh, What did you see from Lamar Jackson in this game that you really kind of, that you probably didn't see before or what makes him so successful this year? Well, this game was a game where he started off throwing really well before using his legs. And uh, you know, that, that crazy third quarter run where he broke all those tackles uh, that, that happened in the third quarter. In, in the first and second quarter, he was he was passing the ball, spreading it around. 
He, he had two touchdown passes, one to Seth Roberts where he, he stayed in a pocket. He had to step up because of there's some some pressure and threw a strike in the end zone high up to where uh, only Seth Roberts could get it or no, or no one else could get it. Um, really accurate throw uh, right where it needs to be, especially in the red zone area. So that was impressive. And it, it, as his other touchdown pass was to Mark Andrews. Um, and they were on the 18-yard line. They were an empty. They ran a little scissors concept. And uh, Mark Andrews was the one running the post. And again, perfect strike right in between the cover two. Uh, so I, I think we're seeing him grow as the season goes along. Um, there's mistakes and things that he might have not done too well in the beginning of the season where he's starting to do well now as the season progresses. And and that's a scary thought for, for defenses because if he could uh, just keep this going, he doesn't have to be, he doesn't have to pass for four touchdowns every game. But if he loosens up that defense with his, with his arm and then uh, uses his legs, it just seems like a, a combo that's extremely tough to stop right now. And uh, the Ravens offense is the most dangerous offense in the NFL right now because of it. Yeah, I think the biggest takeaway from watching this game, uh, and again, and you can help me out here, when you watch the Baltimore Ravens, they protect the football really, really well. Like as a team, they don't fumble, they don't throw interceptions, they protect the ball really well. And especially for as much as Lamar Jackson handles the football, he protects the football really well, right? Even when he's running, I look at the conscious effort of him putting the ball in the right hand, right? Like, like when he's going left, that ball's in the left arm, right? He's putting it in the left arm. He's putting it away from, you know, the defense. Or if he cuts it back, he's, you know, make sure he's putting it in the arm away from the defense. He's aware of where he's at at all times. But he doesn't turn the ball over. And to me, it's just some of the schemes in which Greg Roman is designing now and giving him, I think, options that if those passes, like you mentioned, the Seth Roberts and, the, and Mark Andrew, if those passes aren't there, right, he does have the ability to throw a high percentage pass, which is the check down or getting the linebacker uh, on his running back. It's like, oh, I'll take that matchup. And that's what we, uh, Mark Ingram, the running back, had a couple of uh, touchdown passes, uh, receiving touchdowns, because he had the one-on-one -on -one with the linebacker, and that's what you're forced to do. That's the the chess match against playing the Baltimore Ravens right now. Is I know Romeo Cornell, the D coordinator of Houston, was sitting back saying, "Okay, how are we going to do this? Because we want to keep an extra defender in the box, and we want to put you know sometimes you know eight, maybe squeeze nine, however, because the formations dictate that everything is sometimes really tight, right? Because the Ravens use multiple tight ends." And when they do that, it makes the formation tight. And it's do you bring in an extra linebacker? Do you bring in an extra nickel type player? But if you get those eight eight man fronts and you get the safety who's right there on top of everything, then who's going to have the running back on the outside? Who's going to have the tight end to the outside? And that's what's happening. They're forcing guys to have to play two different plays every single play. It's like, I don't want to overcommit and stop in the run because they're going to hit me with the play action. And Lamar Jackson seems to find his tight ends a lot more than not, right? Whether it's Boyle, whether it's, you mentioned Andrews, uh, Hurst. I mean, they utilize their tight ends so much. And it's hard because linebackers, and I'm, I'm speaking more from, from me, Ted, it's hard to try to play the run and still remember your possibility, I mean, your, you know, your, your positioning 
in the passing game or where you're supposed to be at, right? Wait, what's my job here? I know I got the B gap in the run game, but okay, if they go read read option here, I got to make sure I'm covering my B gap. But if he pulls it, I got to get try to get underneath, you know, the line, I mean, the, the tight end. And that's just like, that's just hard to do. And then on top of that, Lamar Jackson is now throwing sidearm now to, okay, getting it away from the defense. And so it's just a dilemma that me as a defensive player, and I think what defensive coordinators are kind of going through now is that there are so many different ways now that Lamar Jackson can attack your defense. And, and, it's, and it's hard. It's almost a pick your poison on what you want to do. And they, they're not even hitting the deep passes to Marquise Brown yet like they did at the beginning of the season. When they get that deep ball to Marquise Hollywood Brown going again, man, this offense is almost too lethal. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I was just going to say it's like a pick your poison type of deal because you can't play you can't play a lot of man coverage against the Ravens because you, you don't want to turn your back on Lamar Jackson. Correct. And, and on top of that, he throws a really nice touch pass. So if you're playing a lot of man-to-man and you're, you're gambling with a guy like Marquise Brown who can beat you deep and Jackson could put that ball on him and and you have to uh, match it with Mark Mark Andrews too, who I think is one of the, the best receiving tight ends in, in the NFL right now. And there's not a lot of guys that could uh, run with them man-to-man. And you, you know you have to keep your base personnel out there because you know they run the ball so much. So you're gonna m- match up Mark Andrews with a linebacker man-to-man. You, you don't want to do that too often. And and when you're playing zone, he he's really good at finding those holes in the zone. And like you said, he's very patient too. So if you're dropping back deep in your zones, he'll take, he'll throw the check down to uh, Mark Ingram's in a flat and Mark Ingram's will make a play. Uh, so there's just so much you have to deal with, with the Ravens offense right now. And, and obviously the Texans couldn't. And uh, on the other side of the ball, uh, your guy, Martindale, who who's your linebacker yeah. coach. I thought he had wink, a great, wink. yeah, he had a great defensive game plan against Deshaun Watson. Uh, they were blitzing. But at the same time, they were very disciplined in their uh, their rush lanes. They would not let Watson outside the pocket. And those defensive ends were basically, they were just bull rushing the tackles. And then the blitzers were the guys that were causing disruption. And they and Watson just looked frustrated because there was nowhere for him to go. He, he tries to move one way, defensive ends there, and then all of a sudden the blitzer gets home. Uh, and and they're they're gambling a little bit because you know you're blitzing you're playing a lot of man to man against guys like DeAndre Hopkins that's tough but uh, those DBs did a good job and and the rush was able to keep Watson contained and uh, yeah Martindale frustrated the heck out of Watson yeah and that's the one thing for just my knowledge of knowing Wink is he he's gonna say look fellas this is what we're gonna do and it's gonna take all of us basically. Right. Like we cannot allow this guy to get out of the pocket and create more time to throw the ball down the field. So like you mentioned, you do have to be disciplined in your rush lanes. They were. But I just I I think that probably the biggest pickup this offseason. And I don't know if people are going to talk about it enough, but I feel like what Earl Thomas has been able to do, Ted, and in terms of helping out this Ravens defense, because they've had some, you know, guys who've played the cornerback position a little bit. I mean, they just think about what they lost this offseason. Gone is Eric Weddle. Their middle linebacker, everything linebacker, CJ Mosley, he goes to the New York Jets in free agency, right? So now you're losing Eric Weddle, who's a kind of a quarterback of a defense. Then you lost your other quarterback of the defense in Mosley. And then, by the way, you lost probably one of your best pass rushers in Zadarius Smith. And like Terrell that, Suggs. And, and T-Sizzle. I forget about it. The T-Sizzle. And, and Terrell Suggs. So you you lost 
four guys on that defense, and yet they look younger, they look fresher, they run to the football. But I think when I watch Earl Thomas, he's really what, what makes this thing go in the way that they disguise a lot, right? Earl Thomas, sometimes I'm seeing him in the box as if he's a, a, a box safety. And then before the snap, he's playing a deep half or a deep third. And so I think a lot of that is, is confusing on a quarterback. And then you have the pressure that they bring from both sides where they're overload aside. And when they overload aside, they're trying to get the protection to turn that way. But once you get the protection turned that way, then all of a sudden the coverage is actually being shot to the other way. So it's a guessing game each and every week for these offenses on what the Baltimore Ravens are doing defensively. And then the next thing they have coming up, the Ravens, they play Monday night against the Rams. So we get a chance to see them go up against that offense as well. So it was just it was fun to watch the domination, I think, of, you know, obviously the Ravens defense. And still, the one thing that I thought was fixed for the Houston Texans was their offensive line, right? Was having, you know, the trade for Laramie Tunsil and and, and and the guys who they have up front that you feel comfortable that, okay, we can keep him upright. But the Baltimore Ravens was just better. I mean, he was sacked, what, seven times, I believe, uh, in this game. That's way too many, Ted. That's way too many for Deshaun Watson. And when he's kind of running for his life back there. We've seen that before, right? We, we've seen that in Deshaun Watson, that when he's moving around, trying to create, but there's nothing there, that's the bad Deshaun, right? It, he, he needs just a little bit of time to get the ball off, but he's, he's ha- having to run for his life. You can forget about it. Yep, and it, it, that's tough on any quarterback. And uh, hats off to uh, Martindale for a great defensive game plan. Yeah, I'll be looking forward to seeing him this week as uh, they get ready for the uh, the Los Angeles Rams um, in week number 12. Uh, our next game was a game that I think quietly people just saw it as, oh, 49ers, Cardinals, oh, the 49ers got this one. But, oh, man, it's football, baby. That's what I love about this game, Ted, because you never can look down or sleep on a team. And when you really start to break it down – the 49ers played an emotional Monday night matchup, right, in week number 10, right? A emotional matchup against the Seattle Seahawks. They go all the way into overtime, and it was a field goal that won it. And everybody's like, wow, okay. But that was Monday night. You lost it. You stayed up late, so you lose a day of preparation on Tuesday. Then by the time you kind of get to Wednesday, you're kind of really still playing catch-up from the weekend. Your body's a little sore. Then you're trying to push through, and it's Thursday. You're trying to figure out who's going to play. Is George Kittle out? Where's Emmanuel Sanders? The linebacker situation as well. You're pushing, putting all this stuff together, and then all of a sudden you have a hungry Arizona Cardinals team who knows that they're a better team, but just kind of had the short end of the stick too much this year. But they are a tough out. It actually reminded me a lot of Monday night to where there were some things we got very excited about. You know, it felt like you blew it a number of times to where you kind of get crushed. And then the guys were just resilient and just kept coming. And we were able to finish it out the right way, unlike we did last week. So two similar games like that and by no means was perfect. I'm real proud of the guys, how they just kept fighting, found a way to get it done. And you saw them get out to a 16-0 lead. It was Arizona taking on the 49ers. The 49ers end up comeback winning uh, late in the game. A, a <laughs> How do I say? A touchdown pass from Jimmy Garoppolo 
that put the Niners up, and then they had a subsequent, <laughs> uh, I would call it a scumbag score. That's what I call that. That's a scumbag touchdown at the end for all the people out there, gamblers, because the 49ers ended up covering <laughs> on that backdoor last play of the game, whatever happening, scoring a touchdown. But I, I'm, I'll start with the Arizona Cardinals first. I know that their record right now is not the best, right? Currently, um, you know when you, but when you look at them, I'm like, man, that is a tough team. That, that is a good three seven and one football team that is still trying to figure it out. I thought Kyler Murray was 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 fantastic. I mean, to go up against the 49ers defense, which we know is one of the top in the NFL. I mean, I thought he played well early on. He was getting the football out of his hands. He was making things happen. He was on making things happen on the run. He was, to me, laser-like with his precision, getting the ball to to whether it was Larry Fitzgerald, uh, Christian Kirk. Um, I just saw him do a lot more. And in the running game with Kenyon Drake, who, to me, uh, is definitely a question mark, right? Because he almost looks like he fits better in the offense than David Johnson. But defensively, the Arizona Cardinals, really, for the first time, I, I saw the 49ers frustrated. Now, look, Jadavian Clowney was a one-man wrecking crew uh, when they played against Seattle. But defensively, as a team, I thought this was probably the best, I guess, I, um, I guess output from a defense on the 49ers all season long because they really came at them with an outstanding pass rush. The linebackers played well. And then I thought Patrick Peterson uh, did well on the outside as well. So um, I, I, I think that Arizona won't get credit for the way that they uh, almost won this game. But this was the first time I really saw some adversity from the 49ers. They ended up coming back. But, man, they had to fight for this one, Ted. Yeah, I, I really think Cliff Kingsbury is building something special in Arizona. And we just talked about – the the Ravens and you know they had a great vision with um, drafting uh, drafting Lamar Jackson and then building that offense around him uh, and the Cardinals might be building something similar by hiring Cliff Kingsbury and then drafting Kyler Murray and kind of building this kind of new this pro version of an air raid offense in Arizona and and when you look at that offense they just do so many unique creative things that. Uh, you, you don't really see an NFL. You see a lot of these concepts in college and, you know, the college scheme is infiltrating NFL, obviously, but they're doing more cutting edge spread stuff um, and bring that into the NFL and making it work with, with Kyler Murray and uh, Kyler Murray. He, he's just so accurate. Like it's, yeah. mm-hmm. he, it's crazy how accurate he is. Even when he miss he, even uh, his incompletions, it, it's in a spot where only his receivers can get it. And, I really think Kyle Murray is going to be a really special quarterback. And I mean, he had one throw where he had, you know, he had six, seven DeForest Buckner right in his face, right in his face. Away. And mm-hmm. He throws that crossing pattern, like 30 yards downfield, <laughs> right on the money. And I'm just like, wow, like how many quarterbacks are making that throw? Uh, so, so yeah, the, the Cardinals are, they're, they're looking good. And, and the, they, the Niners had to make some adjustments in the, in the second half to, really uh, get back into this game. And one of the things they did was they really um, focused on throwing the running backs and Kyle Juszczyk, Jeff Wilson had that, um, that game winning catch. Uh, but running backs and fullbacks had 12 receptions for 150 yards and a touchdown in this game. Uh, so I think Shanahan kind of went away from that in their, uh, their loss last week. 
and they went back to throwing the backs, especially with George Kittle out. They needed they they were they liked creating those inside mismatches. Uh, so the running backs catching were uh, were a big part of this game, um, and they really missed George Kittle in the run game. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, Selick, he's known to be a good run blocker, but he just hasn't been this season. He was kind of getting ran over by the Cardinals and Chandler Jones. And uh, there was just so many runs that were close to breaking, but uh, the tight end just couldn't make a block or couldn't sustain his block in it. And uh, the running back being ended, ended up being tackled. So uh, Kittle's injury is really affecting this run game. Uh, but they were able to adjust. Jimmy Garoppolo, um, he, the guy is just, I guess he's kind of like, He's kind of like Phil Rivers, where he's so volatile. You know, he he convert these third downs. He could make these plays outside the pocket and make plays when it counts. Uh, but at the same time, he makes some really basic mistakes, like uh, those inter- those two interceptions. Like he just didn't see the blitz coming and uh, couldn't get it to his hot receiver and try to throw it downfield, and it, it ends up getting picked off. Uh, so those those type of mistakes worry me when the Niners get into the playoffs. Uh, but hope you know. Hopefully for them, they they're able to run the ball better and not have to rely on Garoppolo too much because he could put up these 400 yard games. But at the same time, he he also could cost you really badly with the untimely turnover as well. Yeah, that's what from what I see. The one thing about Jimmy, I think, just he's got the belief, or he's got the guys on that team that they believe in him no matter what. Right. And I think we wanted to see how would Jimmy operate in a two minute drill with the game on the line. And so he operated and he and he I wouldn't say he silenced the critics, but you said, hey, he led that drive. Now he very easily, um, you know, could have <laughs> not. You know, I thought that was a, a questionable call there on the uh, on the uh, was it the, the third down play where the receiver possessed the ball and caught it on the line but didn't fully possess it until after they ruined the ruling of the first down, which to me, I said, oh, wow, this little home cooking. But, hey, that's what happens uh, in the NFL. You get those calls. But he still led that drive, and he led it to a, a touchdown drive. And I think that's huge kind of moving forward. I mean, we still don't know. I mean, I, I forget now. Where are we at, Ted? I forgot the counter or the meter uh, in terms of Jimmy Garoppolo starts because uh, – I- believe you have it start 19 or 20 19 so yeah so Something he's still like he's barely a sophomore right he's barely a, a quarterback in his second season in terms of starts there's a lot that he has to see on the field and he's going through this process um i know that he's an older quarterback because he's been there but he hasn't truly been playing that long 19 games is not long <laughs> like 19 20 games that's not long at all ted right that's like a, a season and a, and a quarter and that's where he still has to get caught up to. But I think just his presence out there, um, it makes a, a big difference. It really does for for this team. But I think to your point, George Kittle means so much to this offense, right? Like it means he means a lot. And, and it's not just him in a passing game. It's like what you mentioned. It's him in the running game. Because they haven't ran the football well over the last couple of weeks. And a lot of that is because of having George Kittle in there and the threat of having to play coverage versus blitz for the run. Right. You could blitz for the run because, you know, no offense. I I, I didn't think that, uh, you know, Dwelle was going to be Dwelly was going to be the guy who, uh, for me, is going to, you know, tear us apart. No, Um but running backs caught 12 passes this week, so they felt like they had an advantage there 
um, did Kyle Shanahan. And so they try to exploit that matchup. And Kyle Juszczyk, you know, to me, he's another guy that you that you need out there every single week. When he's not there, the 49ers offense is a little sluggish, right? Because he he's part of the run game. And then just the passes off of it, he's always seems to be a guy that picks up 10 to 15 yards when they do the bootlegs and the play action passes. So at the 49ers right now, what do I take from this game, Ted? I take that that they're a team that is still moving forward. They're going to get there. They still have room for improvement. And I'll learn more about them as we uh, get ready to preview this week's game, week number 12, because they got a big matchup. And you know what? I'll, I'll leave it there. Actually, let's just transition right into that, right? Let's go from previewing the 49 I mean, from reviewing the 49ers to previewing the 49ers as they get ready to take on the Green Bay Packers this week. When I cut on the tape, I see a damn good football team. I mean, they're they're 9-1 and one for a reason. One of the top defenses. I think their offense is explosive. They've got a lot of guys that they've been missing as of late and still finding ways to win games. So certainly we're going to have our work cut out for us. We're going to have to play our best ball to come out of there with a win. And I think number one is what's the health status of George of George Kittle? Where's Emmanuel Sanders at? Is he going to be healthy, ready to go? Looking at that injury report, because he is a difference maker. Jimmy Garoppolo and him have a nice little connection going already so far. And then this 49ers defense that looked tired in that second half, Ted. Dare I say they looked a little bit tired. And they're gonna go up against Aaron Rodgers this weekend. This is gonna be a fun matchup because if they beat the the Green Bay Packers, I think people will say, okay, this is a, this team's for real. They lose to the Packers, and guess what? You're now tied with the Seattle Seahawks. There's a lot to be said over the next couple of days for the 49ers and what could be or could not be. Oh, yeah, this is going to be a huge game. And um, with the coaching matchup, Matt LaFleur comes from that Kyle Shanahan coaching tree. Uh, they coach together in Atlanta, and even though LaFleur – uh, was with the Rams before he got hired uh, with the Titans. Uh, he's more influenced by Kyle Shanahan. Correct. So this is kind of like a master versus student type of deal. And I, I think Kyle is probably going to be able to give some good details to Robert Sala on how to stop that offense or things that could give him trouble. Uh, but at the same time, I think Devontae Adams could could potentially have a, a big game against uh, the Niners. Um uh, Richard Sherman's having a great year, but he really struggled against uh, Christian Kirk, uh, who who's a speedster. And um, Sher- yeah, Sherman uses his intelligence to uh, to play extremely well, but as, you know he just doesn't have a lot of long speed, and he can struggle. And and Adams is just explosive, um, so he can get behind it. I think he might be able to get behind the Niners' defense a couple times, uh, but I think he'll have to be the focal point of the, the Packers offense if they want to move the ball against this 49ers and and that ferocious defensive line. Um, and offensively, uh, yeah, Kittle will be a, a huge key in this game because if they can't run the ball consistently against the Packers, I have a hard time seeing them really passing for a lot of yards against uh, this Packers defense, especially uh, with how inconsistent the uh, wide receiver group has been. Um if Emmanuel Sanders is healthy, uh, that'll be a big key as well. Uh, he he really fought and and hard to stay in the game against the Cardinals, but uh, you you can see that he was in pain and he had to go, leave the game periodically just because uh, that injury is tough to deal with. 
Um, and, and Debo had Debo Samuel had a big game too. Uh, but it's going to be a whole another uh, whole another thing going against uh, these Packer defensive backs. Yeah, that's the thing. I want to see what this game. How is it going to play out? Is it a low scoring game, or Ted? Could this be a shootout? Could we get and see a shootout between the Packers and 49ers? Um, if Aaron Rodgers comes out slinging the ball like the way that we know he can, that would be kind of interesting to see just because the Packers are coming here on a mission. This is their second West Coast trip, their first West Coast trip. They traveled a couple days early. They went down to, you know, to Los Angeles. They played the Chargers, and that was probably their worst game of the season. They looked lethargic. It was one of those – like that, those games happened in the season. They just didn't look like they were ready to play. And I think now this week they come in, they're going to fly in a day before, and so they're coming with bad intentions against this 49ers team. And I'm just saying if they're laser and locked in and this thing turns into a shootout, I think that may be advantage to me, Jimmy Garoppolo, a little bit. Because I think Jimmy is better at playing a shootout type of game. I, I, I mean, I want to see him in a shootout type of game. Um, I think look, it could be advantage Rodgers, but I want to see if this could be an advantage for the 49ers because it shows me a different way of them winning, right? Because if Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers, it's hard to stop them regardless. They're going to give up points defensively to 49ers, but can they come back and, and, and score with the best of them? That's what I'm looking at for this game. Yeah, I think with the shootout game, you know, and the, the balls in Jimmy Garoppolo's hands, he can do it, but at the same time, you you got to worry about you know that interception that's coming. Uh, so I, I agree. I, if you're a 49er and you kind of do want to see that shootout game and you want to see Garoppolo grow a little bit and be consistent, take care of the ball, but at the same time be aggressive. Uh, so I you know, I think I should I think for the 49ers they, they would actually like to see a, a low scoring game. Um, because they they want to put the hands in the, the their defense and uh, running the ball and when it comes down to it, um, when it comes down to needing a, a last minute touchdown, I think that's where Garoppolo could shine. Uh, but it, it's for me, it's just kind of scary watching Garoppolo drop back there pass after pass, just because I always worry about that that Yolo ball or interception coming. <laughs> the Yolo ball, I like it. Um, I think last thing on this game though. Um, it's a very important game for the 49ers because we know right now Green Bay Packers are sitting at sitting at eight and two. We know the 49ers are sitting now still at nine and one. So with with that being said, if the 49ers lose to the Packers, that makes them nine and two. The Packers went out. They could be the number one seed in the NFC because of the tiebreaker. So this could be huge. And now we're talking about having to go to Green Bay, Wisconsin for a NFC championship game rather than playing right there in Santa Clara. So this game, even though it's in week 12, has big, big ramifications for for late January. Uh, our, the next game to preview here is the, kind of the matchup of the AFC South. The winner of this game will be number one and, and will, will be the leader, will be in first place. And do you think whoever wins this game on Thursday night, Colts, Texans, does the winner of this game win the division to Colts, Texans? We all know that Thursday night schedule is a challenging deal physically for the players, for what they go through. So every team kind of does the same thing. It's really all walkthrough. There's no full speed stuff, you know, so we'll have, you know, a lot of walkthrough stuff, a lot of mental reps, and then try to get guys as healthy as possible. Yeah, I think, um, I, I think this, 
Uh, yeah, I do believe whoever wins this game is going to... Oh, actually, no. You know, I think this, the division is so tight right now. The whole AFC is so tight. There's, I think there's four six and four teams and two five and five teams. Right. So I, yeah. I don't think this will be the, the game that ends up deciding who wins the AFC South, but obviously it's going to be big because of the um, getting that head-to-head is going to be uh, advantageous later if, if the records are close. Um, but obviously it's going to be huge. Uh, Texans are going to want to avenge that embarrassing loss against uh, the Ravens, and luckily they don't have to have too many days to, to think about it. And um, the, the Colts are starting to play better. Brissett came back, played a good game. Uh, that defensive line is looking um, like it, it's starting to play better and pressure the quarterback more. And and uh, I get the Texans had a tough time blocking the Ravens. So we'll see if they can block this Colts defensive line. Well, I'll tell you this, Ted. This is what we call a twofer game. And this may be actually a four game. When I say a four for meaning that, Remember, Indianapolis has already beaten Houston this year. So if they beat the Texans one more time, that means that they've got two games against them, which holds them as the tiebreaker. So this is going to be huge to a point where if Indy wins this game, would Jacoby Brissett at quarterback, to me, that means they kind of go up on a two-game lead on the Texans, right? Because that means the Texans will have to not only beat them. Yeah, so this is a huge game more so for the Houston Texans than the Indianapolis Colts. If Texans win, this thing is cool. Indianapolis wins, man, I think that they win this division. And what would that say about the, the Indianapolis Colts with going into the season, no Andrew Luck, and they're sitting here right on the doorstep of being a division winner right now. First of all, I didn't even have them winning six games already, but the, when winning six games uh, just goes to show you how well that Frank Reich has his team rolling. And I look forward to that matchup, and we'll see. Can the Houston Texans just shake off that embarrassment last week versus the Baltimore Ravens? The, the crazy part with the Colts is if Anna Vinatieri was uh, was having oh, a better season, they might be yes. nine and one right now. Very uh, true. They, they lost so many close games because of missed kicks, which is, which is insane considering they just lost Andrew Luck right before the season. Yeah, they, they will be in the market for a kicker come next year, but that is a great point. Very, very true. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's missed some extra points, field goals. They definitely could have won. But Jacoby Brissett, I think he'll be ready to go 15-4 and four right now. When I say 15 touchdowns, four interceptions, he's playing well. But I think this is that run where they need to see him even step it up a, uh, to another level uh, for them to be successful. For more exclusive NFL content, including players to watch, go to theathletic.com slash runthefilm for a free seven-day trial and 40% off subscription.